So um, I, I think you guys probably know uh, today is kind of a special day. Uh, Valentine's Day comes every year. Uh, opportunity for those of us in love to celebrate those with whom we are in love. Now, I, I, we, we don't do this very often. We don't, we don't ask you very often to take your cues from, from the pastors. We, we, we don't. We, 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 we say take your cue from Jesus. We, we'll do the best that we can to, 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 to model Christ's likeness for you, um, but understand we are not Jesus. Right? Don't, please don't worship us and don't look to us and know that we make mistakes. However, today, ladies, you should take your cues. From, I, I, don't, I don't know what Quentin got. I haven't heard yet. But I know that Pastor Jonah's wife, Karis, and last night my wife gave us bacon for Valentine's Day. Not, and not just any bacon, but bacon in maple syrup and sprinkled with brown sugar and shaped into the form of a rose bacon, and it was delectable. So my cholesterol is up, but so are my spirits. Well done, pastor's wives. A little love for the pastor's wives. Yeah, if you didn't buy your husband bacon for Valentine's Day, it's not too late. It is not too late. You can buy him bacon. And, and that, that just speaks to me. I, I felt loved. Again, to be honest, like I feel the love from my wife today because she gave me sugar and bacon, and it was amazing. All right, so well, with all of that said, I don't want to spend too much time relishing in the fact that I got bacon and making all of you who didn't jealous. Um, I, I want to get into what we've got going on today. We are in week two of a series called Chasing Daylight. We started this last week, and we told you guys this is uh, at least some of the content for this message based on a book that, that the pastors read through and said, man, our, our church needs this. We need this information and this direction for how all of us can plan in our lives to be able to experience and take hold of those divine moments that God puts into our path. But because oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can miss those moments. Because oftentimes, the divine, powerful, significant, life-changing moments are wrapped inside of moments that look pretty mundane and pretty run-of-the-mill. So we have to be careful to, to look out for those opportunities that God puts in our life, to, to lay claim to these divine moments. Because we all know, we all know, there are those moments in our life that have changed everything for us. That from that moment on, everything was different. And some of those moments came at, at our own hands. Some of them came at some of the bad decisions that we've made. But sometimes, I believe regularly, God will place opportunities in our life for us to experience moments that change everything for us from that day forward. I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday about a God divine appointed moment that he had in his life. And he said, Brian, from that moment on, that's the first time that I knew for sure that God had spoken and God had stepped into a situation and changed it. I know it was him. And from that moment on, my relationship with him has been completely different. And we all have opportunities like that. And what I want for us as a church is for us to never miss those opportunities. So last week we, we said that um, the, the decisions that we make, the choices that we make demonstrate something that we believe about God. 
And that when we begin to tune our minds to think of and direct ourselves towards what it is that God has for us, that we'll become more aware of those divine moments and divine opportunities. The problem with decisions is sometimes it's possible for us to be almost paralyzed in our decision-making. So fearful that we're going to make the wrong decision that we make no decision. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever had this thought? You don't don't have to raise your hands. Just think to yourself for a moment. How many of you ever, I I think this might be God's will, but I'm not sure if it's God's will. And so I don't really want to, I don't want to do anything because I'm not sure that it's God's will. And if I'm not sure that it's God's will, then I better not do it because I don't want to step outside of God's will. I've had that thought. A hundred times. So here's a couple of things about that line of decision-making. Number one, it is impossible for you and your decision-making to thwart God's cosmic plan. Did you know that? Did you know that God's will is not completely dependent on your ability to make the best and perfect decision every time? Did you know that? Did you know that if you make a bad decision that God still accomplishes his plan and his will according to Did you know that God was big enough to do that? That even if you make a mistake, God's still going to be okay. I don't know if y'all, because I love you, I want to share that with you guys this morning. And number two, as we think about our desire to honor God and do the things that God wants us to do and make decisions that would honor and please God, if we find ourselves in a situation where I don't know exactly what the right decision is, so I make no decision, Are any of you under the the impression that doing nothing is what God wants you to do? I hope not. Here's here's what I'm getting at. I believe, I believe scripture teaches that we're going to look at it today. That just making a decision with God in mind, right? Remembering last week, the choices we make to demonstrate what we believe about God. Making choices with God in mind in pursuit of him, in an effort to honor him, in an effort to bring him glory and fame, if we make a decision in that vein and with that mentality and it's the wrong decision, I believe God's still okay with that. That God would rather us do something for him, even if it's not the perfect thing, than for us to do no thing for him. You tracking? God, I'd say it this way. This is the way that the author of the book we're reading said it. Just do something. Because God is honored by mistakes that you make in pursuit of him. You can write that down if you want to. Listen, look at me. God is still honored even when you make a mistake, as long as that mistake was made in pursuit of him. As we looked last week at the story of Jonathan and his father Saul, we learned that Jonathan had this mentality of just do something. They were up against insurmountable odds. And if you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go listen to the podcast. Or if you want to read 1 Samuel chapter 13, you can get the whole picture. But I want to pick up on the tail end of that this week. Each message is going to kind of build on the other. So we don't have time to go back and reteach last week. But you can go and read it. And what we find is Saul, the king, in in facing these seemingly insurmountable odds, gets paralyzed by his inability to make a decision. So instead of doing something for God, he does nothing 
for God. And he's held up under a pomegranate tree in a cave where he and his closest friends just hovering around, not doing anything. Stuck in indecision and indecisiveness. No initiative whatsoever. Now Saul's son, Jonathan, is not okay with this. Jonathan, in his mind, and we talked about the Jonathan factor last week, the ability to do things that because of who God is that so shapes who we are that it changes our life forever. That's the Jonathan factor. We learned that last week, that because of who God is, it changes us and how we live and act. That was Jonathan. Jonathan wasn't okay with doing nothing. And so this is what we read last week, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison. That's the army they were fighting on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now, let's, let's stop there for just a moment. Why didn't he tell his dad? Why didn't Jonathan think to go and tell his dad, Hey, dad, guess what? There's like 40 men over there. They all got swords, and I don't, or, or I do, but my, this other guy, don't. I got one sword, they got 40, but we're going to go fight them anyway. Why would Jonathan not tell his dad? And here's what I want you, to, here's what I want you to, to take away from just that verse this morning. Oftentimes, when God calls us in those divine moments and those divine opportunities to do something incredible and awesome for him, it's going to look so crazy and terrifying to everybody else that they'll try to talk you out of it. There'll be a long line of people who love you and care for you and think the best for you and want the best for you lining up to tell you not to do what it is that God told you to do. That's why Jonathan didn't tell his dad. His dad, the king, would have probably either decreed it or tried to talk him out of it. So here's what you got to know. If God tells you to do something and you discern that through Bible reading and prayer and counsel and all that, if God tells you to do something, and don't let anybody talk you out of it. I'd, I'd be scared to know how many opportunities have been missed in your life and in my life because I let somebody talk me out of what it is that God had in store for me. And opportunities that I've missed. So Jonathan doesn't tell his dad, so he goes on. Let's skip down to verse 6 and keep reading. So Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, meaning just people not like us, that are fighting against us. It may be, I love this, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Did you pick up on Jonathan's rationale for going to pick a fight with a whole garrison full of Philistine troops? Did you get it? Did you catch it? What his motivation was, how he was rationalizing it? Two things. He says, maybe God will work for us. Let's give it a shot. Some of the craziest things that are done by Jesus crazy believers run right up to the edge of even losing their own lives. And that's exactly where Jonathan was. So compelled by his relationship with God that he was willing to die. Willing to die instead of doing nothing. I would rather die than do nothing. That was Jonathan's position. Hey, I'd rather, I'd rather do something and die than do nothing. And maybe when we go, God will help us out. Let's go see. Who knows? 
Maybe we die. Maybe God shows up and gets all the glory. We'll talk a whole lot more about that next week. It's going to be a great message. Let's keep moving. But follow his motivation. Here's what he says. Here's why we are going. Because nothing can stop God from saving us. Nothing. There is, if, this is, if this is what God wants, nothing can keep us from being saved by him. Doesn't, numbers doesn't matter. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can keep God from saving. If he's going to save us, he will. And if not, dying is still better than doing nothing. Is that, is that your mentality? I'd rather die than be passive. I'd rather die than be inactive. That's how Jonathan felt about it. He knew God wanted something, rather die than do nothing. Just do something. So this, this, this very idea actually showed up in a story that Jesus told. It's called a parable. It's a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus was teaching other people about what it looks like and what it means to be the kingdom, right? We said at the beginning of this year, we're going to figure out together this year how we are going to be the kingdom in 2016. Well, Jesus, when he was teaching about what the kingdom of God is like, and we looked at a couple of those in our first series of the year, but one of the things that Jesus taught was something called the parable of the talents. And so today I want to look at that through, through the lens of what, does, what effect does indecision and, the, and the, the mentality of doing nothing because of fear, how does that play into God's kingdom? Because as Jesus talked about this, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Let's look at it together. Matthew, we're going to read a lot of scripture. We'll hit a few notes afterwards, and then we'll all go be the kingdom together. So let's read this, Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 14. Like I said, I'm going to read the whole thing, so just hang with me. I'll try not to read it like I'm reading it, but read it like a story. For it. Now, when he says it, he's talking about the, the kingdom of God. It here is the antecedent of kingdom of God. He, he started this chapter by saying, for the kingdom of God is like. This is his second example, for it. So he didn't repeat himself. Just know that when he says it, talking about the kingdom. For it, the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents. Now, just uh, if you're confused, talents was money, a sum of money. Don't, don't, don't read like gifts or abilities. Like he didn't give one nunchuck skills and one bow staff skills. And that's a Napoleon Dynamite reference. If you didn't get that, you are way too young or too old. Um, he didn't give them talents, he gave them money. All right, so to one he gave. Five talents to another, two to another, one to each, watch this, according to his ability. We're going to come back to that, so just remember that. According to his ability. Then he went away on his journey. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He doubled his investment. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more, doubled his investment also. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good. And faithful servant, 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much in joy and enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master said, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, the five who doubled, five and five. For to everyone who has, look at this, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so a couple things I want us to take away from this account. Remember, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says that the master is going to go away and he's going to be away for a long time. Jesus is talking about when he, the master, left earth and he's, he's going to be away for a long time. And he's been entrusted to us something, talents, money, resources, abilities, gifts, our time. He's, he's, he's given that to us to be stewarded while he's gone. And then when he gets back, he's going to make an account of how we managed that which he entrusted to us. Time, money, resources, abilities, all that other stuff. What we do matters to God. He's taking, he's keeping an account of what we do. And it says that he does so, he, he measures us, he entrusts to us according to, as we get from this story, our each to his own ability. You remember that? He gave each servant an amount in keeping with the ability that that servant had. But did you notice that when the master came back and he was giving out accolades to the servants who had doubled their income, he didn't treat either of them any differently. He had the same regard and praise for both servants who used what they had been entrusted for the kingdom. Did you catch that? He didn't, he didn't praise the one who had five and made five more than the one who had two and made two. He praised them both equally, called them good and faithful servants and praised both of them equally. Here's what that means. God entrusts each of us according to the ability that we have deemed by him, according to what we have available. Some of us have different abilities than other people. And so God expects us to steward and use the ability, resources, time, money, whatever. He expects us to use it well. Some of us have less. 
But God still expects for us to do with what we have the, to the best of our ability. And we, the one who had more doesn't get more praise. It's equal in God's eyes. Because it doesn't, the, again, the amount doesn't matter. The investment gain doesn't matter. The use and stewardship of what God has given us is what matters. That's what God takes account of. He makes no distinction between the first two servants regarding the degrees of their faithfulness. Then we get to the third guy, the third servant. And, and, and I like this. This is, what he, this is what he said. He said, I knew, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, the Bible doesn't say or never tells us, I mean, it's Jesus making up a story anyway, never tells us whether the, the man in the story was a hard man, but this third slave, third servant, believed him to be. That's the, the, the connotation of the word knew right there when he says, I knew you to be a hard man, is I believe you to be. So I thought, I, I believe you to be a hard man. Where you, you reap where you didn't sow and you pick up, you harvest where you didn't scatter seed. So I was, a little, I was terrified of you. And the last thing in the world I wanted to do was lose your money. So I just went in my fear and I hid it. So here, I, I'm giving it back to you. And, and the response of the master was, that, that's not why I gave it to you. That's, that's laziness. That's wickedness. That's unfaithfulness. Remember what we said last week? You remember the, pain, the main point from the message last week? We said that the choices we make demonstrate what we believe tr to be true about God. This, this third servant, he knew the master to be hard and unmerciful. And so because of what he believed the master to be influenced the decisions that he made. So the master says, well, if that's what you believed about me, the very least you could have done was take it to the bank and invest it. I mean, you, you didn't do anything. And the tragic error made by this third servant lies in the fact that he allowed himself to be paralyzed by his fear. So for the two faithful servants, because we all, we all want to be faithful servants, right? We want to be the good servants in this story. Those who steward well and manage well that which God has entrusted to us. Here's what God says is going to happen. Here's what Jesus was telling us in this parable is going to happen. For those of us who do well with what it is that God entrusts to us, more will be given. And that doesn't mean if more money. It doesn't, mean, doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means that whatever trust we have done well with God, we will be entrusted with more to be trusted with. Does that make sense? That was a terrible sentence, but I hope you can pick up what I'm putting down right now. Here's what that means. When we do well with what it is, when we take the risk necessary, when we step in faith, kind of like Jonathan did, to say, what can God do with this moment? And when we step in faith, if we do that well, God will then give us more. He will bless on top of the blessing that he gave us initially so that we can have more to do with later. Here, here's, here's the thing, though. Here's what we can't miss. When we do well with a little and God puts more on top, do we get to stop? No, we don't, which means our next step, 
our next risk, our next investment into the kingdom has to be bigger because now there's more to be lost, right? Here's what I, here's what I need you to see. You can write this down if you want. The risks you take for God are directly proportional to the size of your faith. When you got a little bit, look, watch me. Watch how this works. This is, this is like an equation. Math nerds geek out over this stuff. I love this. Right, here's how it works. You got a little bit of faith. Little bitty faith. So you take a little bitty risk and a little bitty step. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he gives blessing on top of your faith. Now, when you step and God answers, your faith grows. And God blesses on top of it. So now your faith gets a little bit bigger. But the amount that you have to risk, guess what? It got bigger too. Because now you've got more to lose. So you, your faith grows. The amount of risk that God calls you to take next grows with it. So you take a little bit bigger step. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Your investment grows, your faith grows, but now you've got more to lose. And so it gets bigger and bigger. And as your faith grows, the risks that God calls you to take will grow with it. And the challenge for believers is to never get to the point where we've got so much to lose that we cease taking steps of faith. But that is what had happened time and time and time Again, we step in faith and God blesses and we get, oh, thank goodness. And we step in faith, a little bit bigger step and then God blesses and we, we like it and it feels good. And we take a bigger step and a bigger step. And all of a sudden we've got so much blessing, so much favor from God. It's so big we can barely contain it. It was like, whoo, I can't risk losing all of this. And we stop. And we stop. And the very blessing that God gave us becomes the hindrance to the growth of our faith. Anybody ever been there? Risk was too great, too much to lose, too hard to take that next step. Because what if, what if? But here was the promise. For those that will continue to step, for those that will continue to take the initiative to do what it is that God calls them to, even when the steps get bigger and bigger and the amount gets bigger and bigger and the cost gets bigger and bigger. And as you continue to grow in your faith, the risks God calls you to take will grow with it, those are directly directly proportional. That's a math term. As your faith grows, so does the size of the risk that God calls you to take. But here's what we have to remember: we're not just taking risks for the sake of taking risks. Hear me? And when I say just do something, it's just do something for God. Got me? Like tracking? We good? Ever, ever done this? Hear me, right? It's, it's not just doing stupid things for the, hey, Pastor Brian said do something. Let's go. I don't know. Whatever. I, God, I should have had an illustration. That would have been awesome. I, was, I felt it and I didn't have it. 
Do something in line with what is pleasing to God. But do something. And don't allow your inability to make a decision leave you paralyzed by your fear in doing nothing. And at the same time, don't let the measure of what you have to risk keep you from doing something. Risk it. Wasn't that Jonathan? Wasn't that Jonathan's position? I'm going to do something for God even if it costs me my very life. I don't know how much bigger it gets than your life. But the Jonathan factor, if we're trying to take our cues from Jonathan, if we want to be the hero in God's story of seizing divine moments, it happens when we'd rather risk our life than to do nothing for God. So if you're struggling to make a decision, you're struggling to take a risk, you're struggling to step, here's what you got to know. When you step for God, he's going to be honored and he's going to bless even if it's not the perfectly right decision. Just do something, but do it with God in mind. And you know what's so cool about that? Is that when we step, when we risk, when we take initiative for God, we don't do it alone. The very fact that it's a risk, it's a risk for us, but it's not for God. He knows. He already knows the outcome. And even if we get it wrong, he still knows the outcome. How cool is that? Here's what you got to know. When we step, we do so with the grace of God covering us and meeting us in our risk. You don't go at it alone. God is with you when you step. He meets you where you are to carry you through the risk. I mean, what's the chief component of risk? It's fear, right? Here's what the Bible says over and over and over, hundreds of times in Scripture. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, depending on your translation. Well done. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And, and more than half of the times, I haven't done the math, more, but more than half of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture that God says, do not fear. And more than half of those, he says, because I am with you. So we do not take risks for risk's sake. We take risks for the glory of God, knowing that when we step, that we don't have to be afraid because he is with us. And his grace meets us where we are to carry us through to the other side. Thank you to the three of you that clapped. That was awesome. It's good. It's good. No, no, no hard feelings. Here's what, here's what I want us to do. Would you just, just bow your heads for a minute? And right where you sit, right where you are, this is the question I want you to ask God. God, what would you have me do? If I could take fear out of the equation, if I could take the possibility out of the equation that I might fail, God, what would you have me do? Search your mind for the answer to that question. If you knew, if you knew that you couldn't fail, if you knew 
that what it is that God is calling you to do, what you feel God is calling you to do, would be meet with 100% success, no possibility of failure whatsoever, what would you do? Father, in this moment, this is, this is my request for you, Father. And right now, God, you would speak to each and every person in this room. And God, you would inhabit our minds. You would give us a, a picture of or direction towards that which you would have us do, God, if we believed that we could not fail. God, I think we've made the case today that even if we do fail, we didn't fail when we stepped for you. God, you're still honored even when the decisions that we make are mistakes as long as we make them with you in mind. So God, give us boldness, confidence, and faith in the place of fear to step, to step out, to stand out. To be different. To step outside of the voice of reason, to step into the voice of faith. God, help us. Because it is scary. But your perfect love for us dispels all fear. So God, replace our fear with faith. Help us, God, to step where you lead. And when we do, and when blessing comes as a result, when favor comes as a result, God will be so very careful to make sure that you get all the glory. Because we know that it's all because of you and all in light of you and all through you that good things happen. We thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to experience those things in relationship with you because of your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.